Hello there, Alaskans, wherever you are. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska Show. Coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is the place where we talk about, you guessed it, Alaska. Where we keep the mainstream media on their toes and where we are standing up for what's right and a world run by leftists. You can find out more by heading over to mustreadalaska.com and also checking out the Must Read Alaska YouTube channel for some really great content. But first, let's get this party started. Thank you, Scott. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Must Read Alaska show coming to you from somewhere in Alaska. This is Must Read Alaska, a reader-driven, a listener-driven conservative news project for Alaska. And what do we do? We have a news site. We have something up at mustreadalaska.com where every day we've got lots of fresh political content about Alaska for Alaskans. And we keep the mainstream media on their toes. We also have a Monday, Wednesday, Friday newsletter with updates and special items you won't read anywhere else, not even on the website. We've got news from our delegation in Washington, D.C., all the way down to Ketchikan and Barrow. Um, we've got Club MRAC, which is our daily legislative news bulletin for all Alaskans that, that just gives you the skinny on what's going on in Juneau. And we've got a YouTube channel. <laughs> I got to tell you, we are um, we've got big tech breathing down our neck and they've given us a couple of warnings, but we're still up at YouTube giving you good conservative content. And we're up at Rumble, too, now just to kind of do belts and suspenders, because we're pretty much sure that YouTube's going to kick off our uh, channel pretty soon here this year. I'm Suzanne Downing and my co-host John Quick has a day off. But I'm really glad to be joined by Bill Evans today, who is a candidate for Anchorage mayor. And now, for, for those of you who don't know Bill, I'm, I'm not going to grill him here. This is just a conversation that we're going to have. We're not here to um, do a you know, full-on litmus test. Are you truly a conservative? We're trying to find out a little bit more about him as a candidate. And so, Bill, welcome to the show. Thanks, Suzanne. Glad to be here. Well, and thank you for just taking the time out. It's, uh, it's uh, you know, I've known you a little bit for a few years, you were on the assembly, and I just wanted you to give a chance right now just to sort of tell us about yourself, because there's a lot of people who may not know you. It's been a while since you've been on the assembly. You just kind of dropped out of public life a little bit. Now you're back. Tell us about where you came from and, and tell us about Cleveland. Sure. No, I, I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. I was uh, raised in a fairly modest family. Uh, my mother was a single mom, uh, worked in, as a bartender her whole life. Um, I was the first person in my family actually to graduate from high school. So very working class upbringing and all that entails. Um, after high school, went off and joined the military, spent three years with the 82nd Airborne Division as a paratrooper, earned some money for college doing that, went back to Cleveland, uh, got a job as a police officer. I uh, was a patrol officer and a SWAT team member for about six years while I went through Cleveland State University uh, and eventually graduated and then had to figure out what to do with these uh, degrees that I'd gotten and decided, well, you know, with history and political science degrees, there's not much you can do. So law school beckoned and, uh, you know, I'd seen a number of prosecutors while I was a police officer. So I thought that was something I could do. Uh, so went off, quit the police job, went off to the University of Michigan Law School, did that, uh, back to Cleveland. And then in 1998, my wife and I and our three small kids decided that it was time for a change. We were looking for someplace different than Cleveland, and Anchorage is definitely different than Cleveland. And we'd watched one too many episodes of Northern Exposure and had really no idea what Alaska was like. Didn't know anybody up here, hadn't been up to Alaska before. 
Uh, but we took a chance, came up in 1998, and it's been uh, just a wonderful experience. It's been home. This is where our, our kids were raised and went to school. And uh, it's a city that we love and uh, had a lot of opportunities to, to serve both uh, the municipality and the state, including my time on the assembly. And uh, just really wasn't planning on getting in the mayor's race, but the city has gone downhill so fast. Um, I, I felt it was a, an obligation to throw my hat in the ring. Mm, and I'm glad you did. And I just want to thank you for doing that because I don't think people always realize how much uh, how much effort it is to for, for, put yourself up there for review and approval or disapproval. And people, it's a pretty rough and tumble world of politics. And it's gotten a lot more cruel, I think. Um, people have a lot more ways to be cruel than they used to. And, um, and the level of, of nastiness in politics is something that I've never seen before in my lifetime. So it, it's kind of, for me, I think a little bit daunting to you know, put yourself out there and run. But we do need leaders in this constitutional republic that we have. And, and it's so important that we have a good leader for Anchorage um, coming up because we've been suffering under some pretty dire leadership for a few years. We'll talk about that. But um, so I mean, just getting back to Cleveland a little bit, I, a couple things caught my eye. Cleveland is one thing. They have the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So I just want to know who your favorite rock band is. Oh, it's it's kind of boring. But I mean, I, I my favorite rock band is the greatest rock band of all time is the Beatles. I've always uh, grew up a big Beatles fan and uh, uh, you can't be beat. The Beatles. Very good. And they are most certainly in the um, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame there in Cleveland. They're probably one of the first ones in there. Charter class, yep. Charter class, that's right. Well, I'm glad you didn't say the Eagles because that really would have been boring. So <laughs> I'm glad you stuck with the classics. And then another thing that caught my um, uh, my ear here is that you were in the 82nd Airborne. You know, my brother was as well. Oh, so right. that's something we have in common. My brother retired out of Fort Bragg um, uh, many years ago, but you know, it's, it's uh, in the family history. So it's very storied. It's a very storied uh, unit. Airborne all the way. All the way, yeah. Well, so, you know, Anchorage is like a very incredibly complicated city to me. I, I think of other cities and I think there are some that, okay, they're complicated. I think probably Seattle is complicated. But for the, the size of our city, we've got a lot of things going on that, um, that have layers of politics, native politics, village politics, and our, of course our oil patch. We've got a lot of things that are um, difficult for us. And you've seen this from the law enforcement side of things, I know, but you've seen it from being on the assembly, also from just being a citizen and, and being involved in political races. Now, I know you're not a, a Republican, you're not a Democrat. Tell us a little bit about this big, complicated city of Anchorage. Yeah, I, I think I think you're exactly right. I think Anchorage may be the most complicated city there is. I, I mean, it's not the biggest by any means. But how we're put together with our various service areas and, and overlapping jurisdictions and, and our kind of, you know, our sense that we want a small government. So we have a lot of our functions that take place within service areas. You know, like I live up on the hillside. We have our limited road service areas where we take care of our own uh, street maintenance and, and street clearing, uh, which works very well for us. But you have, you know, dozens of those limited road service areas. Um, and we're a very diverse city. So, I mean, it, it is a, an extremely complicated city. Uh, it's a difficult city to, I think, manage and lead in that sense. Uh, it takes a lot of effort. It takes really more than anything, good communication because you're, 
you need to be able to talk and reach a lot of people in various you know, aspects of the city to let them know what's going on in the city and to know what you're doing. I think one of the problems we've had in the past is that we, we don't communicate well, or at least our leaders don't communicate well. And that leads to frustration. And you've seen a lot of that lately uh, with things that, uh, you know, that seem to be bad decisions being made. Uh, and a lot of it is because they are bad decisions. And some of it's because they're just poorly described and poorly planned out. Mm, yeah, you know, and and uh, and that said, we do have uh, we've had a, a history of of a, a mayor who actually was not just elected once with Ethan Berkowitz, but but elected twice, and uh, you know was actually pretty popular in Anchorage. I mean, we we've run uh, conservatives have run candidates against him and not done well at all, and I, I don't know why because you know obviously he finally collapsed in a. In a and a heap of shame there, but um, but Anchorage is not the big conservative stronghold that it used to be. In fact, it's changed rather rapidly, I think, in um, the most recent uh, election in November. We saw most areas south of the Eagle River area voting majority for Biden, um, for Joe Biden in that election. So we're, we're seeing a great deal of moderation as um, the oil patch diminishes, and as all of those Medicaid jobs moved in, all the Medicaid expansion under Bill Walker, there were like four or 5,000 new jobs that came in with that, and a lot of Medicaid money. So you have a lot of a, a new industry in Anchorage. It's the Medicaid industry. And that really does has, has made a, a significant change, I think, to our politics. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I think that's a really good point, Suzanne. I mean, I, I think, you know, we a lot of us that have been here a while, you know, had an idea in our head of that Anchorage is a very conservative city. You know, we we tend to be you know very uh, red as far as how it used to be as far as electing officials. Uh, but that has changed over time and it's become a very, I'd say, a purple city. Uh, the, you know, the evidence of obviously Biden won uh, Anchorage by 3%, even including Eagle River, uh, overall uh, is an indication of that. Plus, uh, if you look at our record of municipal elections, whether it's assembly or mayor's races, over the last decade, we've done a bad job. We used to have a majority on the assembly. We used to have a, a, a conservative mayor. We have none of those now. In fact, we have a super majority. Um, and, and a lot of it is because the, you know, the demographics of Anchorage have changed. It's gotten younger. It's gotten a little more, more liberal than it used to be. Uh, I don't think it's a, I don't think the city is as far left as the assembly would make you think it is. Um, but I think we've certainly kind of come to the sort of middle of the road and are a very purple city. Um, and that has, you know, that has bearing on, in, on how we approach elections. I mean, we have to be realistic about who the electorate is and, and what we're able to get done. And, uh, and I, I think that's going to play out in this, this race in particular, we need, we need to have a conservative win this race uh, because the alternative is, is going to be Forrest Dunbar. Um, and Forrest is to the, you know, self-prescribed to the very far left uh, within the democratic party. Uh, he, he's very honest about who he is. You know, Forrest is not lying about being a, the most progressive candidate in the race. Uh, he runs on that and, he, and he's willing to, to stand on that. Um, but if we don't do a good job of putting someone who can beat Forrest in this race, that's what we're going to end up with. And I, and I don't think well, that's we're a good talk, idea. We're, 
We're definitely I'm gonna I'm gonna pick that up. Um, I'm gonna I'm taking a note. I'm gonna pick that up in a minute here. But I first want to because I think it's really important that we find somebody who can compete well there. Otherwise, we will end up with six years of Forrest Dunbar as our mayor, and that might be a, a big problem for our city in terms of its economic future and, and the confidence that the business community can have. But tell us tell us a little bit about, um, just back up and tell us a little bit about why you got interested in politics originally serving on the assembly, and I can't remember exactly the, the three years that you did, so help me with that. Yeah, well, I mean, I, the, uh, I did three years from 2014 to 2017. Um, yeah. I've always been interested in politics before that. I mean, it's just been something that's, you know, as as, as a fan of politics and government and, and leadership, it's been something I've been interested in. You know, my degrees are in history and political science, which kind of lends you that way. Um, but that was the first time that I actually ran for office. I've done a number of boards and commissions before that, appointed positions. Uh, so I was involved in government, but not in an elected capacity before that. And after that first term, I, I was satisfied. I wasn't planning on being a lifelong, you know, politician. I had a very booming law practice that, you know, I was still maintaining, and I was happy to go back to doing just one job at a time. Um, but you know, after seeing, you know, you know, driving from the hillside down to downtown every day uh, for work, seeing the city deteriorate right before my eyes, uh, businesses closing, businesses boarding up, homeless on every street corner. Uh, crime throughout the city. It it became so evident uh, that I just had to get back in the race. But uh, mm. you know, I I believe that you know politics can be a noble profession even in this day and age when, like you said, it gets pretty ugly. Uh, but I I think we have the opportunity of of doing that, making it a noble enterprise and getting things done if we just have the right attitude. Well, one of the things that is, it struck me is that I know that well, they did serve on the assembly for three years, and it has the the complexion of the assembly has changed dramatically since then. But um, there were there were a lot of liberals on then uh, as well. But uh, there are com it's completely dominated now. But since then, you've also been sort of in the background in some other campaigns. Now I know you were involved in the Mike Dunleavy for governor campaign, but I'm not 100 sure of the capacity. How did you work on that campaign? Yeah, I actually, I worked for the IE, that uh, the the big uh, independent expenditure group that was supporting uh, Mike's campaign, uh, and I basically provided the legal service for that group. And and, and I, was, I was very proud of that because that group, you know, is such a large IE. It got so much attention, and we anticipated there being all kind of legal challenges and 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 people trying to take that down. Uh, but we managed to get through that campaign with that IE, which did a really excellent job with no complaints against us at APOC. Ran it completely clean. Uh, and you know, I, I kind of led the effort to make sure we stayed within the bounds of, of, of what APOC requires. And uh, I think that was kind of a, a critical piece to make that IE run well. Yeah, and so actually, if you were involved in an independent expansion group, then you really didn't have any direct contact or relationship building with this governor, but this, you know, that this governor does need to have a partner in the mayor's office in Anchorage because actually Anchorage is what 40% of the state's population is in Anchorage. What is it, 38%, something in there? Uh -huh. And yeah, it's, yeah. go ahead. No, I was gonna say, you know, that that is a very critical thing. And, and I've met Mike since then. He knew I worked on in the IE, even though we didn't uh, 
discuss it during the campaign. Uh, he's familiar with that, and I've met with him a number of times since then. But it, it is actually critical that the mayor of Anchorage and the governor of Alaska have a good working relationship. And that, and that should matter no matter what parties they're in and who's the governor and who's the mayor. That you know, Anchorage cannot succeed if Alaska doesn't succeed and vice versa. We need to work together on that. There are so many issues that overlap uh, that we can make great progress on if we were pulling together in the same harness. Uh, and we've done a very terrible job of that lately. The, you know, it, it's it seems like uh, Anchorage and, and the assembly just wants to stick a finger in the eye of the state uh, at every opportunity over silly things, uh, just to make a point. Uh, when in fact we should be finding ways, despite our differences. If there's, you know, political differences, fine, but find the ways to work together to get things done for the citizens. Yeah, and so to, on that um, point. What would be something that you could say was your overall vision for Anchorage? I mean, I, I take a look around our city and it is, it's, I despair because I see what, um, you know, I've seen the decline and it has been so profound under the, um, the time that, that um, Ethan Berkowitz was mayor. And then now we've, we've had this COVID crisis, which has compounded our, our problems that were already there. So, um, you know, how can we claw our way back to an economy and a vibrancy and a, a sense of hope and a sense of pride in our city? I mean, I don't think we're an all-American city right now, but is there a way back? Yeah, I believe there is a way back. And I think it starts with realizing uh, that the most important thing we can do is grow our private sector economy. That is the engine that makes everything else in the city possible. And part of the reason why you see us deteriorating and you, and you see us in the state we're in is because we've neglected that fact for too long. Um, and, you know, in the 21st century, in this digital age we live in, uh, investments and development opportunities are much more mobile than they ever have been before. And cities compete with each other across the country and across the world. And Anchorage has to position itself so that it can compete for investment and for jobs and for development opportunities. And part of that is you have to realize that you have to be a proactive partner with business, making sure things get done. If somebody wants to come in here and develop uh, a new development, the city needs to work with that developer to pave the way to making sure it happens. And instead, we do the opposite. Anchorage is a tremendous point of friction for getting anything built in this city. And everybody knows it. Every mm. developer, every engineering firm knows how difficult it is to get things done in Anchorage. We do not have the attitude uh, that we're going to develop and that we're going to be pro-business. And if you do that, if you continue to do that, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm thinking this election is so important, you're just going to continue to deteriorate. A lot of people you know, on the left just don't have the belief in the necessity of the private mm -hmm. sector economy. They focus on nonprofits, they focus on government jobs and government programs, but all of those fall apart if you don't have that economic engine driving everything and creating the prosperity. That's what you have to do first. You have to put Anchorage back in that position. If you do that, everything is possible. You can create that great city that everybody wants to live in because then you have the means, you have the resources, the funds to do all the things we'd all like to see Anchorage do, but it starts with getting that economic engine going. So that's a, a really great point. Economic engine and, you know, I've noticed that in our city, the 
the main industry seems to be government and I know healthcare now and nonprofits. And it, it shows up in the makeup of the Anchorage Chamber of Commerce, where there's there are a lot of nonprofits represented there and a lot of sort of uh, associations and not very many sort of job creators out there. A lot of skimming going on, skimming off the the private sector. Um, and to by skimming, I mean, you know, government is a big skimming operation and it does provide services and we do need it. And we, we certainly do need it at the local level. Um, you know, looking around Anchorage, just to try to drill into what you think is the, the top worry that you have about Anchorage and how you would address it sort of more specifically. Is it the, is it the economy and, and how would you address it specifically? Well, it's interesting. It, ultimately, it is the economy because, like I said, that is the beginning and the end of everything you have to do. You have to have a vibrant, growing, robust economy or nothing else works. But the interesting thing is in order to get that economy, in order to be able to compete with other cities, you have to clean up a lot of the problems you have that are getting in the way of economic development. Not only problems within you know, the building and permitting department, the, the friction that's caused by all the, the regulations and red tape and, and confusion of dealing with the city of Anchorage, but our, our, our problems on the street, you have to fix the homelessness issue. Um, nobody is gonna you know, come up here and look to invest in this city uh, if they drive from Ted Stevens down to downtown and by the time they get downtown, they've already decided eh, this is not the place for me because all I see are people on street corners and, and, and homeless people. It's not a good look. You have to clean that up and you have to get your crime rates down. Otherwise, it's uh, it's the economic growth is not going to occur. The cities that do well in this day and age are cities that offer lifestyle. Cities like Boulder, cities like Boise, Western cities that have a very desirable uh, draw for people that want to live there. Anchorage can do that. We've got all the natural amenities that money cannot buy, but we have to clear up these problems on our streets with crime and homelessness. We've got to make Anchorage a much more attractive city, and we have to get you know government working for business instead of being opposed to business. If you can do those things, I am convinced that the you know Anchorage is going to be better than it ever was before. Uh, you know, the 21st century is made for Anchorage. We just have to take advantage of it. Yeah, boy, I think the listeners are really going to like that. Um, and so you mentioned homelessness. And so I'll, I'll just have you dive into that a little bit with me. You know, I, I've heard last week with the young Republicans, they had the three conservative candidates uh, in a forum, yourself, Mike Robbins, Dave Bronson, and um, everybody talked about homelessness and they talked about it in general terms and how we've got to address it. We need to house, get housing for people. We need to get services for drugs and alcohol. And so these are some of the thing, same things that we're hearing from the city right now, which is we need to also create sort of what, when we listen to them, we hear we're creating a homeless industrial complex. We're going to create this huge network of services and shelters. And we are going to house all the people coming in from the villages because that's just going to attract them to become a great big magnet for more homelessness. And so how can you address homelessness if, if cities like Seattle, for instance, they've got all the money in the world is the most was the most prosperous city out there. And yet we all saw that video two years ago, Seattle is dying. And, and when we went down to Seattle, we saw it with our own eyes. 
just encampments along the roadways and along underneath the underpasses. And we're seeing a bit of that creep up into Anchorage now where we have a, a forever underclass that can't seem to find their way out. What, do, what is our responsibility as a city for providing care for people? How do we do that without creating a magnet? Yeah, no, that, that's, that's the $64,000 question. But I, I think there is an absolutely uh, a way that you can do that and that is legal and is obtainable. Uh, the first thing you have to realize is that for most of the people in Anchorage, the 295,000 people who are not homeless, who are not really involved in homelessness, uh, to them, the idea of what is the homelessness problem are the people that they see on the street corners and the people they see in the camps along the trail sites. That's what they perceive as the homelessness problem. That is the visible homelessness problem we deal with. And that is the part of the problem that is bringing the city down. It makes the city look bad. It brings down the economy. You have to be able to address those problems. And there's two ways to do it. With respect to people on the street corner, it's a constitutionally protected right to beg on a street corner. That's America for you. Yay, it's your First Amendment right to stand up there and hold a sign and ask people for money. We can't stop that. But what we can stop and what we have a law already on the books uh, that makes it illegal is giving people on the street corners money from your cars. That's illegal, but we just don't enforce it. And the only reason those people are on the street corners begging like that and hanging around and drinking is because they're getting money to do it. You have to cut off the funds that they're getting. If you do that, there's no reason to hang out on the street corner anymore. It's not the view from the holiday station that they're going for. So you do that, first of all, you enforce that law vigorously. And then for the camps, the only reason we, we, we can't make progress on these camps is because we have a very kind of stupid system of just tagging these camps, giving them 10 days notice uh, that, you know, we're going to tear down their camp if they don't leave it. So they wait eight or nine days and they move their camp eight or, you know, 800 yards down the road, leave behind all the garbage that they don't want. We clean up the garbage for them and then start the process over again because it's a new camp. What we have to do is we have to have a facility in place where we can store their goods because the law requires we can't dispose of their property, their camping property, uh, without giving them adequate notice, which is about 10 to 15 days, depending on who you ask. So, but we can store it for that amount of time. And so instead of tagging the camps, letting them move down the road, you come in, you take down their camps, you take it to your facility, you store it there. They're more than likely not gonna go back after it and get it and start over again. If you do those two things, you get the people off the street corner, you cut down significantly on the camps. The hardest part of the problem is the third part. You have to have enough shelter space, not housing, but shelter space to have a safe place for the people to go. Uh, the, again, the law gets in the way here and says you can't kick people out of your public places, off your sidewalks, out of your parks, unless you have a place for them to go. So we have to get serious as a community. We have to get a shelter space that allows enough uh, shelter for each of these homeless people. Uh, and it's different than housing. I think one of the problems we have is that we, we, we're, you know, we're looking for a more permanent solution for housing, which is you know, all well and good, but we're never gonna keep up because Anchorage keeps attracting homeless people. Uh, every state has a city in it. Usually it's the biggest city because of its economic benefits that attract people from the rest of the state. Anchorage is no different. 
we, we are, a, uh, there's a hose of homeless people coming through and going out one end and coming in the other. And you have to recognize that you're never going to be able to put them all in, in permanent housing. We can't afford it and you'll just never keep up. Uh, so you have to have different solutions that recognize that flow problem. Uh, and we can do that. There's things we can do to kind of, you know, slow down that flow from other uh, areas of the state. Uh, and we have to be aware of that and put those in place as well. But we can make significant improvements in homelessness. And if you do that, I think people will get behind you because what they're tired of is seeing that the city is doing certain things and spending money for homelessness, but they're not seeing any visible signs of it improving on their street corners. In fact, it's just getting worse. Uh, so that turns people off. They don't want to contribute. But if you show them you're making progress, I think people in Anchorage will get behind it and, and solve this problem. And, and to that point, you know, there was this, this very testy situation that happened last summer when they decided to bypass the Planning and Zoning Commission and just go ahead and purchase some hotels and turn them into either shelters or uh, treatment centers or halfway sort of um, halfway houses of some sort. And, you know, this was very troublesome to people because uh, the assembly was essentially bypassing the usual process. And they were going to take up uh, some of this CARES money and some of it would be from alcohol tax and, um, and purchase just a facility, these hotels that were too close to neighborhoods, too close to churches, too close to daycare centers and schools. And it looked like it was uh, to, to just sort of spread this problem around, which is you know, legitimate. You don't want it to be all centered in one place because then what you're doing is creating a big, great big ghetto at the same time. I think the public in Anchorage is pretty wary because they realize the homeless aren't really going to Juneau that much. I mean, Juneau might be a, a, a magnet for some of the villages in Southeast to send their banished people to Juneau, people who are causing problems in the villages, they just, they just blue ticket them to, to Juneau. Um, nobody's really going up to Fairbanks or Nome or Kotzebue, they're going to Anchorage and Anchorage is becoming sort of the collection center. So we're kind of absorbing the burden here. I'm just wondering how you feel about what that whole process was last year for this homeless industrial complex that I, I describe it that way with um, the, the America's Best Hotel, the Golden Lion there, um, and then the, the, the Tudor Center for the Alaska Center. And this, this, this project kind of collapsed under its own weight. It's not going anywhere, it looks like. But what were your thoughts about how that came about? Yeah, no, that, that, that is a, almost a textbook, textbook example of what not to do as a government. And it, it is typical of what we've done so many times. Um, yeah, I was, I was really concerned about that issue. Matter of fact, I went down to the assembly to testify about it. it was I remember that. Uh, and, I, and I don't generally go down to the assembly ever since I got off of it to testify. But that issue is so important. I thought it was such a problem uh, that I went down there. Um, you know, it, it's, they had no plan, first of all, for any of this. They didn't have any of the agencies in place. It was just a, it was sort of an idea that they had with none of the, the work put into it to flesh it out, to explain to people what this would be, what it wouldn't be. Uh, and they were just taking advantage of the CARES money that all of a sudden fell in their lap to get this done. And instead of, you know, solving a problem, all they did was light a fire under the citizens of Anchorage who saw that it was kind of a backdoor approach to this problem, wasn't well thought out. It was just going to place things in their neighborhood without explaining at all what it was going to be. Uh, and you've seen that fire play out. It, it's still, there hasn't been a normal assembly meeting, I don't think, since they introduced that. 
No, because they, they, they activated people, all right. Oh, they, yeah. they, they, just, uh, they have people that are going down there every week and just raising holy hell with them. Yeah, and, and it's part of the problem. It's a, it's a problem of competence to some degree that we just don't put in the hard work as a government to, you know, if there was, if they had an idea about how these buildings were going to be utilized and they had an actual plan and what it was going to cost and what it was going to involve and what the neighborhood could expect, then you can put that out there and, and, and roll it out to the neighborhoods and, and have that discussion and see if people wanted that. But they just threw it against the wall and see what would stick. And you, you see what's sticking and it's, it's not good. Um, so yeah, we, we have to do a much better job as government in communicating with people when we have ideas uh, and we have to have a lot better ideas than we saw this summer. So, so we know that, uh, that you are going to, you, you know, you've got 14 people in the race or something for mayor and that the leading candidate from the left is assembly member Forrest Dunbar, who was kind of part of this AO66 mess, and, and he's, he's kind of part of the whole cabal with, um, you know, former Mayor Berkowitz and, and the liberals that have sort of run the, the city into the ground. Uh, if he is obviously the, the candidate to beat. He's got a lot of money. He's got uh, a, a lot of infrastructure, campaign infrastructure with the Democrat Party supporting him. And there are a couple of other candidates like Bill Falsey who might peel off some votes from Forrest Dunbar from those who think that Forrest is a little bit too much like the Joker or um, somebody who's uh, not quite suited for running our city, where, whereas others might be more, more appropriate. Um, yeah, how are you going to take on a, a Forrest Dunbar, though? He, he does have a pretty big footprint at, because he's been serving recently. Yeah, no, I, I think the election is going to come down to whether or not the people of Anchorage think the city is going in the right direction or not. That's ultimately going to be the decision that people have to make. And, you know, Forrest is, is, is completely associated with the direction we've been going. Uh, he's been on the majority, super majority on the assembly. Uh, he's had a mayor's office that's been in line with him politically. This is the, his direction. If anything, he, he wants to go faster in this direction. So, you know, if, for those that think we're going the right direction, Forrest is going to be a very viable choice. But I, I suspect that most of the people in Anchorage are, are going to believe that we need to do things differently and that we need to focus on our economy and get things built and get things developed. And we have to keep in mind that, like we talked about in the beginning, that Anchorage is this purple city. In order to win this election for mayor, you have to, you have to control the center. Because there's a lot of people in Anchorage that, you know, the majority of people aren't in any political party. They're kind of undeclared or nonpartisan, and they kind of go back and forth. They just look for, I think, solutions to problems. They're not as, as political as, as most of us that get involved in politics. But you have to hold that group. Because Forrest is, you know, like I said before, he's, he's self-professed, you know, a, a progressive candidate, a very progressive candidate. And I don't think that matches up with Anchorage. So as long as you have a candidate that is opposing Forrest that can control the center, uh, and then it's presumably everything to the right of center, uh, because th those folks are not going to want Forrest uh, as their candidate, you can definitely win this election. Uh, we just have to be smart about that, and we just have to make sure that we don't give Anchorage a choice between extremes. Um, because, you know, like I said, Biden won Anchorage by 3%. 
Um, if it's just a choice between hard left and hard right, uh, I'd be concerned that Anchorage leans a little more to the left than we would like. Um, but I think uh, there's a lot of people that are afraid of Forrest, even on the left, uh, that don't you know, either like him or believe in his politics and want to change. I, I talked to a lot of people like that through the campaign that would surprise you that are really not supportive of Forrest, who you think would be. Uh, so I think we have an opportunity here to really take back the center, take back the city, actually win a municipal election, and, and start the city on a very pro-business, pro-development course again. Uh, and that's what we need to do. So before we go, let's talk about the, the, the right, though. Let's talk about the things that are challenging for you on the right. When, okay. And I'm, I'm talking about right now uh, this bathroom bill from a <laughs> long, long time ago. And, and some people said first it would be you let transgenders use women bath, women's bathrooms. And then pretty soon you're going to have them using the locker rooms. And then pretty soon they're going to be competing with girls in intramural sports. And well, now that has happened and we've got a president who's you know, pushing um, biological males to be allowed to compete against girls in sports. And so we do see that the predictions that people made are actually coming to fruition. And I know that you were um, one of the key negotiators to come up to a, a final sort of decision on this now, this bathroom situation in Anchorage, um, I wanted to have you explain to people who are, you know, socially conservative, where that came from, how you thought through that, and what, I know have we have we gone too far now? Do you have regrets about it? Um, what's what are your views on this? Sure. No, I, I mean I, I think it's important to understand the background of how that came about. Like you said. You have to remember in 2015 is when uh, Ethan won a very landslide election as mayor, and he signaled very uh, clearly that he was going to introduce uh, an equal rights bill that would protect uh, LGBT people from discrimination. Uh, the city had gone through that a few years earlier. Uh, it had a very heated, divisive summer of uh, dealing with that at the assembly and then at the ballot box. It wasn't a good thing. Um, so what I did when I was on the assembly and Ethan indicated that I thought of a different approach that was a sort of a, a compromise pr provision. And I drafted a proposal that would allow protections uh, against discrimination in the workplace and in public accommodations for LGBT people. Because uh, I believe in that. I don't think people should be fired from their job just because they're gay or lesbian or whatever. I, I think that's wrong. And I was perfectly happy with uh, providing that protection. But I also built into the ordinance I crafted protections for religious liberties. Uh, back in 2015, if you remember, this was the time when everybody was, you know, really fixated on, you know, uh, baking wedding cakes for gay marriages and, and being able to opt out of doing that. So I put in there, you know, it was based on a, a Utah statute, provisions that would allow people that, you know, religious conscien conscientious objection uh, ability. So I thought it would appeal to some people on the right because it had those protections and appeal to people on the left because it, it provided that non-discrimination protection. And like most compromises in this day and age, nobody liked it. Uh, it, it, it didn't get support from either the left or the right and, and kind of fell apart. Uh, what replaced it uh, kind of trimmed off most of the protections uh, for religious liberties that I had put into it. It kept a couple, uh, but not it wasn't as robust as I had originally proposed. That's the measure that passed. And like I said, I was not uh, I was not against that because I think it, it you know 
people shouldn't be discriminated against because of those kind of things. I think you should be evaluated on your work and, and that type of stuff. So, and, and the bathroom aspect of it was never a, a focus of the bill. I mean, it wasn't, nobody sat down and said, oh, we got to write a bill about, you know, where transgender people can go to the bathroom. Uh, it was just a, a sort of taking it to a logical extreme issue that people kind of said, well, if you, if you protect people against discrimination, this is what this is going to mean. Um, and I wasn't really concerned about that because what happened was what we put in place was exactly what was happening in life anyway. Uh, you know, transgender people existed before this bill and they used the bathroom and they used the bathroom that it corresponded with their, you know, their identity. That's what they've mm -hmm. always been doing. Uh, this didn't change anything. And that's why during the past six years that this bill has been in place, you haven't seen any difference in how people have used the bathroom. There haven't been issues because all it did was kind of enforce the status quo, which seemed to make a lot of sense to me. Um, now, the issue of genders in sports is the, I think it's the exact opposite. There, the common sense and the status quo is that you divide sports based on biological sex because there is a competitive disadvantage in most sports uh, between men and women. Uh, you know, men having more muscle mass, being faster, stronger, you can't compete fairly. So it, it lacks common sense to say that you put them together. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's the exact opposite, I think, of what we did with the ordinance in Anchorage, which just kept in place the status quo, didn't change anybody's bathroom use. Here, you're trying to change things that have been in place for a long time. And I think uh, it's a bad decision. And it doesn't make sense just from a common sense standpoint, if you ask me. Yeah, very interesting. Well, you know, I know that, that it, it really wasn't entirely a bathroom bill, but bathroom part did get a lot of attention. And, um, you know, it's, it's something that people are concerned about having men just say, well, I, I identify as a woman today. And so I'm going to go, go use this bathroom. And it's, it's complicated. And some people are more absolute about it. They say, look at, you know, there's a biological uh, gender, you're kind of assigned at conception, or close thereafter. And, uh, and to have you know, men having the ability to say, uh, today I'm going to put on a dress, I'm going to go into the women's bathroom, and tomorrow I may identify something else. That, uh, that is something that is, is a sensitive issue, especially with conservatives that feel that um, they want protection for their daughters. They, they, they feel that the bathrooms are a place that have always provided sanctuary for, for females, that they should actually have a sanctuary where they can run into and get away from a dangerous situation and know that they won't be followed in. So I just want to express that that is a, a concern that a lot of a lot of conservatives have. And um, there are no easy solutions, because if you're if you're truly conservative, you also don't want to discriminate against people. You want people to be, like you said, evaluated based on their competencies, their their merits. You know, we should believe it in a meritocracy. And that the best man, the best, best woman should win in, in any um, type of job environment. Get the, they should be promoted based on their, their abilities. And um, yet we can't escape the fact that we're, women are, are sort of being um, abused by this whole transgender movement. And that they are, they're going to find that they're falling behind. So I just want to express that. Um, hey, and, and uh, we're running out of time and uh, gosh, I really wanted to talk to you about a whole bunch of other things, but, but, but before I go, do you have any comments or there's other things that you'd like to say to 
the listening public, and I have a, a conservative listenership. We've got you know three or four hundred people will download this particular podcast, and most of them will be in Anchorage. Yeah, no, I think we've touched on the main things. I think the thing that conservative ha- conservatives have to decide in this election, uh, because I think all of us want to go in a new direction. I think that is absolutely the one thing that unifies us across the board, no matter whether you're a fiscal conservative, a social conservative or whatever, we think that Anchorage desperately needs to go in a new direction. But in order to get that new direction, we have to understand we have to win the election Um, and we have to be smart about it. Uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I know, you know, I've met with Dave a lot and, you know, Dave, you know, is, is very popular among social conservatives. He's a good, honest guy. I like him. Um, but you know, I have concerns as how he's going to do an election against force. Cause we know how the media treats conservatives. We know how this thing is going to be played out. We know how the union PAC money is going to attack conservatives and Dave Scott, you know, he's very outspoken about his, his issues. Um, and we just have to decide if, if we think that that is going to succeed against Forrest. I just don't think we're in a position where we can take the chance on another mayoral election uh, and, and not be smart about what we think the likely outcomes are going to be. Um, so, you know, I, I focus on electability because I think unless you win the election, none of the other stuff matters. Uh, so we're trying to position ourselves to do just that. I think I'm the best candidate to beat Forrest Dunbar. And I think we all know that Forrest Dunbar is going to be in the runoff. So uh, it, unless you want Forrest to be the mayor, you got to think at least logically and realistically about what it takes to beat him. Um, and, you know, and hopefully, you know, he will be beaten by somebody. And I, and I hope it's me. Very good. Very good. Well, thank you for joining us so much. I, you know, Bill Evans, you've done a great job in this conversation and holding up your end of it. And we've, I've <laughs> learned a lot about you and appreciate it. And for everybody who's listening online, please sign up for Must Read Alaska's newsletter to get a ton of content. And you'll also get the Club MRAC, which is our daily bulletin from the halls of the Capitol. I just really enjoy putting those um, bulletins out every day, Tuesday through Saturday. And if you can sign up for those at mustreadalaska.com, right there on the right-hand side, you'll see a little thing that says newsletter, and you'll get a lot of great content. Listen, I haven't made it to Juno this year, everybody, and I'm probably not going to make it. You know, you look and see what's going on in the Capitol building, and you see that there's probably at least five people inside that Capitol building now got COVID. And I just feel like the polite thing to do is to stay away and do my reporting from a distance if I can, and I can. And so, um, so, so I'm probably not going to make it to to Juno until May, and that's my the next time I'll. I'll be there. But for the rest of the week, you know, tune into the midweek uh, Mustard Alaska podcast. That's on Wednesdays or Thursday mornings. Um, we get that up. And Scott Lebeck does a great job hosting that show. He's doing some really good work there. He's a natural. And anyway, that this is a wrap for today's show. Just check out all the stories at mustreadalaska.com. And if you're a supporter and you appreciate all, all this conservative content, be sure to hit the donate button there on the right-hand side. It is going to keep us strong, independent, and thoughtful against that big blue wave of activist liberal media. So until next week, we're signing off from somewhere in Alaska.